A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it, out. I it was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true stories of how science has affected people's lives. This week's story is from George Lombardi. The story was recorded in July 2012 at Union Hall in Brooklyn. The theme of that night was Medical Misadventures. Don't go in the water. Don't go in the water. Don't go near the water. Don't go in the water. Her voice became increasingly strident. Ma. What did we come to the beach for? (laughs) She gave me the look, the look that asked, am I raising a stupid child? (laughs) And then she answered, for the sun, for the salt air, for the sand, there's a lot of fun we can have here, just don't go in the water. This was my mother and this was my childhood. Why she had such a deep fear and aversion of the water, we never figured out. There was no one bad incident that we knew of. She was one one of 10 sisters raised on a farm in western Pennsylvania. Do the math. Think of the mathematical odds of that. My grandfather had a great line. If he ever came home and found the toilet seat up, he knew he had a problem. (laughs) They were poor. They slept five to a bed. So we think she was just used to the close comfort and consort of others. Now, she knew she could be a little kooky about this, and like a lot of kooky people, she tried to rationalize uh, her irrationality. Uh, She became an expert on all nautical disasters. (laughs) Anything bad that happened on or in the water, my mother was an expert on. Rogue waves, killer whales, these terrible ferry accidents, these international incidents where Two ships collide and sink below the surface of the ocean, thousands lost. My mother knew all the details. The USS Thresher, a naval attack sub, sank in 1963. My mother knew that whole story. The Titanic sank on its maiden voyage, touted, of course, to be unsinkable. Uh, 1,500 lost. All the amateurs. thought it was an iceberg, or think it was an iceberg. But my mother and a few select others knew (laughs) that the rivets that held the aft steel plates of the hull were made of an inferior uh, pig slag, and that in the cold North Atlantic, they popped, and that's why it, it opened along a seam and sank. Now, I did learn how to swim uh, with two life jackets on. (laughs) But it really wasn't any fun because uh, I'd look up from the hotel pool and my mother would be three feet behind me with her gaze boring into the back of my neck. So I learned a different skill, a skill that I think has served me better in life. I learned how to float. And if floating were an Olympic sport, I would not be with you here tonight. 
as I would be in London and I would be at the top of the leaderboard. I could float for hours, nary moving a muscle. People would come crashing by, thrashing and exhausting themselves, and I would just kind of ripple away and move my body. I could control my buoyancy by controlling the rate and depth of my respirations. Hold on to this. Fast forward 20 years, I'm a medical parasitologist, and I'm moving uh, to Kenya. I'm moving to the uh, uh, Kenyan coast to study an illness called schistosomiasis. So I, I was playing with my mother a little bit. She says, what's schistosomiasis? I said, Ma, it's a, it's a bug that crawls up your ass, and it, it ruins your internal organs. Well, how do you get it? Well, you actually, you get it from swimming in the water. She, she says, you're going to study this? She says, people are actually studying this? She said, here's what you do. Go over there, tell all those kids to get out of the water. And if they don't get out fast enough, just give them a smack. Anyway, I fly with my wife. Fly to Nairobi, beautiful Emerald City, 5,000 feet high. Take the overnight train to the coast, to Mombasa on the coast. Wake up in a uh, uh, ancient forest of baobab trees. Uh, you, you know, you 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 wake up and you sense that you're in the tropics. Picked up at the train station by the current field director, Jim. Uh, Jim is a Rhodes scholar and he's also a rogue. And I had been sent six months earlier because there had been some financial improprieties, and I'm actually here to let Jim go. I'm 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 actually there to fire Jim. Uh, Jim didn't know this at the time. So Jim and his wife pick us up and uh, drive us an hour south uh, to this uh, cottage where we will be living. And it's a beautiful white stucco cottage, wraparound, uh, red tile veranda. And there, within a stone's throw, is the Indian Ocean. So literally there, my, my, our first day. And we're sitting there on the veranda, and we're uh, having a, uh, a brunch, I believe. And uh, Jim says, George, well, you know, uh, you know I, th I thought you were coming later. Why, why are you here so soon? And, and like doctors, you know, you learn to kind of, you just want to get the bad news out. So I said, well, Jim, actually there's kind of an issue, and I have to, you know, really tell you the following. At which point Jim jumps up and he says, you know, you know excuse me, uh, you know, pardon, my, pardon my lack of hospitality. He says, you know, let's not talk business. Let me, let me show you around this beautiful place, you know, the bougainvillea and how stunning the gardens are. And let's go for a walk. Let's go, let me show you. Let's go for a walk along the beach. So the four of us go for this walk along the beach. And so the, the ocean's there. And so Jim and the girls are over there. And I'm standing the furthest from the ocean. And, we, and we're walking down the beach. <laughs> and we're walking for about 10 minutes. But you know, the tension is, is building up inside me. And I, and I, can, I can barely contain myself. And, and I just really want to, I just really just want to blurt out. And so I said, I said Jim, there's, there's really something I, I, I just have to tell you this straight out. And he says, oh, he says, you know, it's such a beautiful day. He says, you know, let's have a bonding experience. You know, we're, we're only here once. You know, we're only alive once. The four of us are here. He says, you know, let's swim to the sandbar. And I look, I crane my neck, and 
I can kind of see it. It's out there somewhere. He says, it's really not that far. It, it's much closer than it looks. Let me give you one of the morals early on. You know, no, no bonding experiences with somebody you're about to fire. <laughs> so, you know, like a lot of bad ideas, this takes on a life of its own, and, and the wives are kind of, yes, it's great, it's beautiful, we're only here once, and I'm, no, bad idea, bad idea. <laughs> and so anyway, they, they strip down, and you know, I don't know, I guess the sight of naked women you know, has, has placed some effect, so I strip down to them, we, we all jump in the ocean, and we're swimming towards the sandbar. Anyway, the water's warm, it's beautiful, the sun's overhead. And um, so anyway, we get to the sandbar, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. And really, one of the great non-events of my life, you know, stand, stand, stand on this little spit of uh, rock, and uh, we're there for about five minutes. And, and then Jim comes over and he says, OK, let's all head back to shore. Last one back's a, a rotten egg. <laughs> great. So, and then Jim turns to me, he says, George, it's not what you think. And he jumps in, and, and the women jump in after him, and, and I'm the last one in. And so we're, we're lead as a group. And after about five minutes, I, I look up, and I'm kind of separated. They're kind of further in front of me. So I put my head down. I redouble my efforts. I'm you know, swimming furiously. And I look up again, and, and now I can't see them at all. And wait a second, isn't, isn't that the sandbar in front of me? I, I thought the sandbar was behind me. So I put my head down. I swim more furiously. I look up, and, and now I've completely lost sight of land. So I'm now floating in the Indian Ocean. <laughs> so what happened to me, of course, I was told later, is there was a break in the sandbar, and the tide had turned, was now going out, and I was caught in this funnel. And so they were on either side of me. They, they're swimming back, and I'm going the wrong way. <laughs> so I reach back from my childhood, and I do what I knew how to do best, and just <laughs> rolled on my back, and I floated. <laughs> now, now, people have asked me over the years, you know, you're floating in the Indian Ocean, man, and there's like nothing. You really, you lost, yeah, can't see, lost sight of land, nothing. I'm totally without bearing. You must have really had some profound thoughts, and I'm embarrassed to say, I had no profound thoughts. <laughs> I remember once saying, you know, should I pray to God, you know, to help me? And I said, well, I just asked God a couple of years ago to get me out of my, get me out of my mother's basement, and I thought it was too soon to go back. <laughs> Actually, I was kind of struck by the meanness and the smallness of my thoughts. The first thought is, I hope Jim gets arrested and he's thrown in prison and he, he really suffers. And, and, and I really hoped that my wife would go to the funeral and that black, the only black dress she had wouldn't fit her anymore. And then I smiled because she'd have to come and meet my mother and my mother would really let her have it. Those were, those were, really, those were really the thoughts I was having. And, and the final thought I had is, and this happens as you just get older and I just, god damn my father was right because my father's mantra in life was you had to look out for the other person's stupidity. You know your own stupidities but it's always the other person who's going to get you kind of in a fix like this. So anyway I'm floating and time goes by <laughs> and uh, actually I was in the ocean for six hours so totally waterlogged and sunburnt and <laughs> Anyway, there I am. 
there I am, feeling, feeling so stupid. You know, what a, my first day there. <laughs> Next thing I hear, I hear some shouting. So, you know, if you've ever been on the open water, you can't really tell where the sound is coming from. So all of a sudden, I'm straight up, I'm treading water, I'm looking 360 degrees, and I see a small fishing boat, and these guys are waving at me, and and I yell back to them, and they're coming a little closer, and they're waving there. I can see there's three of them. Hi! And I wave back, hi! They come a little closer, and now they're waving a little more frantically. Hi, hi, hi! And I wave back, hi! Get a little closer, and now they're waving with both hands. Hi, hi, hi! I'm saying to myself, how friendly do these guys want to be? Get me out of the water. I'll tell you my life story. So then the guy goes like this. And he goes like this. Hi. Hi. He's pointing behind me. Hi. Hi. So hi, hi is, of course, the German word for shark. <laughs> so this were, these were three... German guys on a little sport fishing expedition, a little day trip. So they pull up closer to me, and in a in a moment I, I will in a moment of deliverance I will really never forget this massive hairy German arm picks me up out of the flops me into the well of the boat. And I'm shivering and I'm shaking and you know I promptly thank them by throwing up on the catch of the day and and they wrapped me in blankets and, you know, broken English, broken German, and, you know, what happened, and there's big sharks out there, and anyway. So we head back to the, uh, I guess, the port of the local resort hotel, and um, uh, there waiting for me on the dock is um, Jim, uh, stupid Jim, I've come to call him, and, and, uh, and his wife, um, she really wasn't that attractive either. And I really, some of the people I really learned to hate. And, and there's my, my wife, and I get off the boat, and, and she's crying. She's inconsolable. You, you could have died. You almost drowned. I can't believe you almost drowned. How could you? And then she starts screaming. How could you do that? It's the stupidest thing. You can't swim. I can't believe. Then she's crying again. And, then she's screaming again, and she really kind of set up a pattern for the rest of our marriage. <laughs> I then turn to Jim and I say, Jim, you're fired, okay? Pack your shit and get out of Dodge. So anyway, we're having this kind of a reunion. All of a sudden, my wife looks at her watch and she says, oh my God, we have to go. I said, what, what, what's the rush? She says, your mother's going to call in 15 minutes. We arranged this phone call. It's got to go through the hotel operator, and, and she's going to be calling. And so we, we hop in a car, and we drive at you know, breakneck speed, and we, we just get into the cottage, and the phone is ringing. And I look at her, and she looks at me. And so you know, I'm wrapped in a blanket. I answer the phone, and it, it's my mother. And she says, how are you? I said, no. I'm fine, Mom, I'm fine. <laughs> no, well, no, really, how are you? I said, no, the trip was great, and, you know, the, the train ride, and the baobab trees, and the bougainvillea, and, you know, but, 
you know, if my mother had had a chance to go further in school, she, she would have been a federal prosecutor because she knew something was up. You know, this just didn't make sense to her. You know, we're exchanging pleasantries and this really wasn't our type of thing. And um, so finally, fine, and I'm, I'm starting to actually sweat a little bit because, you know, if, uh, back to the federal prosecutor thing, you know, if you confess early on, they take it easier on you. If you, if you make them drag the story out of you, it's, it's worse off. So finally, she says to me, have you been in the water? <laughs> and uh, I was Clinton-esque before there was Clinton. As I answered, I said, Ma, the only water I'm interested in are the ice cubes at the bottom of my gin and tonic. Thank you. That was George Lombardi. George is an infectious disease specialist in New York City. His best advice is that you all avoid crowded settings like the one during the show. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have our magazine, archives of the podcast, and upcoming events. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, and Aaron Barker. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, Josh McCall, Raphaela Benin, and Sarah Mondalar. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Union Hall for hosting the show, and to my mother for scaring me so much with one boat ride I never went in the water again. Thanks for listening.